What's up, baseball fans? Welcome back to another exciting edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Dom and Jeff. What's going on, guys? No, not hey, much. Living the dream. All right, good, good. We've got a big uh, show today. Uh, we're going to go over the Red Sox-Phillies anthem standoff. I thought that was pretty cool. We're going to talk a little bit about the Las Vegas Athletics and what does that mean for the city of Oakland uh, a lot to take in on that one. Uh, we're going to talk some players who could turn things around after a slow start this season. Um, definitely some people that we thought would uh, be pretty much powerhouses um, have been slow to start out of the gate, but could turn it around at the end of the year. And then players that had maybe the best career turnaround, a player that you know started out in the first couple of seasons, not too strong, but then finished off, you know, maybe a Hall of Fame caliber or close to that. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. For the first part of the season so far, they were pretty good. They were um, first in the National League for first, you know, five or six weeks. Um, a little bit of a downslope, but we're still going to talk about the, their worst to first kind of turnaround. And then we're actually going to talk about the best worst to first teams of all time. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, a lot more than I actually thought there was out there. We're going to do our standings rundown. We're going to do a fantasy baseball update. Uh, so Dom can rub it in our faces. If a little precursor to that topic being talked about, and then we're going to finish it off with always the one fact about baseball, try to stump each other. Uh, you know, something that you guys didn't know and we'll sh share with you. But to start it off, let's talk about that uh, anthem standoff. So former Red Sox teammates, Kurt Cutter, I'm sorry, Crawford and Matt Strom had an old-fashioned standoff after the National League anthem ahead of last Saturday's Red Sox-Phillies matchup. But it's not the first time in Major League Baseball history that players have done, done so. Both players were ejected and subsequently fined, though MLB did not and would not release how much they were fined for that. So I'm assuming it was low or nothing at all. Um, and they were, you know, after they were given a warning to leave the field by the umpire. So this is not the first time the umpires have tossed players. Uh, last year, Royals reliever Luke Weaver and Mariners starter Robbie Ray were tossed out of the game. Um, so... Jeff, I'm going to start with you on this. What did you think of that? I love it personally, but of course the no fun league says uh, none of this. We got to make these games shorter. We're not going to have you guys having your little standoff out here, but I personally loved it. And uh, I know Cutter actually said that when the ump came up to him and said, all right, you got to go. He thought he just meant about getting off the field. And he's like, well, it's my home field. You know, I got to. I got to be the last one off. And then he realized, oh, I just got ejected. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just some fun stuff. But, of course, MLB has got to be like, nah, none of this. Knock it off. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I thought it would have happened a little bit more. There's only the two incidences that I actually could find. And then it kind of made me – I didn't go down this rabbit hole because I thought it possibly could be pretty bad for me. But has that happened in other sports? And is this kind of a thing? And – where did it, it start off? That's that's a real question to me. But, Dom, what's your take on all this? I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it because I, I understand, like, you know, baseball being the no-fun league, kind of just playing spoiler and, and ruining people's fun. But also, like, what's the point? Like, 
go back to your dugout, let's get the game going. Now you got ejected and you can't help your team. So like, this is because you, you wanted to be the last person on the field. Now, now you're ejected from the game. And if you were in the lineup or potentially maybe a, a pinch hitter down the line, well, now, now you're just sitting in the dugout or in the clubhouse. So I don't know. I, I kind of see both sides, but also kind of don't really see the point in it. Pride yeah. was worth it. <laughs> I, I did definitely think pride was worth it for sure. And, and you know, it's a, a like you said, the no fun league, but I, I definitely think that they were having fun with it. And obviously, I mean, if you didn't see that uh, Philly's mascot was just uh, having a field day with that, uh, I was cracking up watching that replay just over and over again about him just going up to him and, and making sure he's okay and looking at him and trying to <laughs> trick him and, and taunt him a little bit. And I thought that that was, that was just amazing. Um, so uh, I, I love it. I, I think that it's something that uh, should stay, or something that they, you know, more more should do it. I guess to a certain degree. I don't think that in either situation, either of them were starters in the game, so uh, that worked out. I mean, um, for everybody in, in that aspect. So I don't know. Uh, I look forward to. It. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole maybe later uh, tonight and try to figure out uh, if this has happened in, in more sports because uh, it's definitely interesting to me. So, all right, moving on to the Las Vegas Athletics. So, after years of failed attempts to find a new ballpark location that would fit them in Oakland, uh, the Athletics announced a few weeks ago that they have signed a binding contract for land in Las Vegas, where they intend to build a new ballpark for the team. So they've been in Oakland since 1968 when they after they moved from Kansas City. So um, this purchase agreement, I think, is a 49-acre parcel land off the strip. So there's still a lot to work out with this. Uh, I think the Nevada legislator session, I think, ends this July. So if the A's and the government can strike a, a public-private partnership, the next step will be for the A's to file for a relocation uh Thing with the MOB. If the commissioner officer approves that, then the A's will need to vote uh, by the owners to codify the move. And if all that gets done before January, I think the team can break ground on the new stadium by next year in preparation for the 2027 season. What's interesting, though, is that the A's lease in Oakland is up after the 2024 season. So if all this goes according to plan, they might not have anywhere to play in 2025 and 2026. So I did hear that the A's have negotiated a deal with the Las Vegas Aviators, their triple A affiliate. So um, they could possibly use that, what I believe they call it, the Las Vegas ballpark for their home game starting in 2025. So Dom, I'm going to start with you on this. What do you take of all this and what's the impact to Oakland? Go ahead. I got a lot of thoughts about it because I understand the appeal of Vegas, and I know that's kind of like the hot spot for sports teams to move to right now. Um, it's definitely a bigger market. Uh, the organization's going to be able to make a lot of money. Um, I just hate seeing small town or smaller markets lose their teams. Um, it sucks for the fans. Um, it sucks for the people of Oakland because now they'll no longer have a team to root for. Um, but you know, the, the the city wasn't willing to work out a deal on a new stadium. The owner wasn't willing to put in any money to build a new stadium in Oakland. Uh, it seems like no matter what, they were going to move anyways, no matter how cooperative the city of Oakland was going to be. Um, so I, it, it's just tough. 
not having a stadium ready till what two or three years after they make the move makes things difficult. But I know that the AAA stadium they have there is pretty much big enough to be an MLB park, anyways, and they're probably not going to be that big of an attraction in terms of um, attendance anyways, at least until the new ballpark is built. But I don't know. I kind of, kind of hate to see it, but also kind of understand the reasoning for it. What do you think this does to the city of Oakland? Well, I mean, they lost the Raiders. They lost the Warriors who moved across the Bay to San Francisco. I mean, it saves the city money because they no longer have to put up, you know, three, $400 million for a new stadium. I think city-wise, it doesn't really hurt them too much. If anything, it you know may benefit them because it saves them a couple hundred mil. Um, it just hurts the people of Oakland and and you know people that grew up Oakland A's fans because um, now they either stick with the A's and just be Vegas A's fans or they become San Francisco Giants fans. So it kind of puts them in a hard spot, but. I don't know. Now, now the city of Oakland will have just a the empty Coliseum that, I mean, they probably should have been torn down anyways. But I guess that creates more bland to maybe develop. Who knows? All right, all right, Jeff. What do you got on this? Well, I guess the Bay officially belongs to the Giants now. But <laughs> the, I mean, I, the owner, I, I agree with Dom. I think it's just give us that stadium, or we're leaving no matter what. And I think they're probably going to leave no matter what. But at the end of the day, okay, you're moving cities. You're going to get this shiny new stadium, you know, this $1.5 billion stadium. And at the end of the day, is it really going to be you guys going, okay, well, now we've got the new stadium. We've got a new city. Maybe we've got this new fan base. Let's try to put a good product on the field. No, absolutely not. They're just going to keep, you know, cheaping, shortcutting it, you know, definitely not money balling it, but they're just trying to get some more money for themselves. It seems, I mean, you know, this was a once proud franchise storied franchise and just moving and getting a new stadium. Doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly try to be competitive and try to put a world series contending team out on the field. And at least for me, I don't see that happening, but if there is a place to do it, I don't see why not. Vegas is like this huge sports market. All of a sudden, you know, they got that women's league, they got the the Golden Knights. I mean, now they had a fantastic draft lottery, but, you know, there's potential there. Somehow they do have a change of heart and they go, okay, well, let's actually try to put something out there for these guys to draw a crowd in. All right. So what do you think the potential? We talked about expansion teams. Uh, I think Dom and I had a couple uh, episodes in the past where we talked about potential uh, expansion team locations in Portland and Nashville and stuff like that. Where does now this put Oakland on the in line, I guess, for a possible expansion team to to move there? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Right now, it doesn't seem like they're too high. Uh, I mean, I know right now that Orlando Dreamers or Chasers or whatever they're trying to be, they're trying to get some traction going. And I could see them, unfortunately, adding another Florida team before they – try to throw another experiment in Oakland, uh, even in Nashville or, you know, any of those cities, I think probably have a better line than Oakland still just showing these last, you know, 20 years of Oakland and how few fans have showed up, how bad it's been there. I just don't really see it happening. Yeah. 
It'll definitely be interesting. And I mean, obviously, this is a, a lot, uh, a lot of time left before all this happens. So uh, we're probably going to talk about this plenty over the next uh, rest of the season, probably in the next season, maybe even the season after that. So definitely uh, yeah, keep tuned in to see what our opinions are on that. All right, moving on to our next subject is going to talk about players who could have started the season off pretty slow, um, but possibly could turn it around. And then we're going to talk about players who had career turnarounds started out slow and then their career uh, skyrocketed after that. So, Dom, I'm going to start with you on this. Who is your player that has started out cold and could finish the year hot? I'm going to go with last year's American League Rookie of the Year and Julio Rodriguez. Um, off to a really slow start in, in terms of batting average. I think he's only batting like 208. Um, it's kind of light in terms of home runs. Um, RBIs are still kind of there, but I think he's he's one of the best young players in baseball, and I think he's just off to a slow start to the season, but I, he's clearly got the talent where if anyone can turn it around, it's him. What do you think about? I mean, he's he's batting leadoff, right? So where do you think? You think so? Yeah. Moving him around in the rotation, how do you think that that would possibly affect anything? I think it would benefit him. Um, with as good of a bat as he has, if you drop him down in the lineup and put him in more situations where guys are going to be on base, I I think that benefits him. I think that benefits the Mariners because um, I mean we we saw the numbers that he put up last year. Right? The guy. He not only hit for power, he can hit for contact. He puts the ball in play, and he's got some speed too. So if you drop him down to three, four, and, and get him into situations where he's coming up to bat with a guy on first or second, I, I think that, that really benefits him and the team. Okay. All right, Jeff, what about you? Who's your, your player that uh, started off cold? Uh, for me, it's Jose Abreu. You know, you look at this guy joining just like crazy killer Astros team and you're like, oh my God, no, they're getting better. But somehow it's been the opposite. You know, the Astros have been pretty mediocre to start the year and Abreu especially. He's just been terrible. Uh, and means of uh, WRC plus uh, in qualified batters, he's actually technically the worst hitter in the league. I mean, it's just – it's hard to believe. Uh, he's batting – his average is about 224. His OPS is 534, and he has zero home runs. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm like, this is the guy that, you know, just won MVP, what, three years ago? <laughs> like, there's no way. Yeah, I, I looked him up when we were doing a little research for that, and that, that zero home runs was, was shocking to me. I mean, I expected – I didn't – I thought – there maybe he's hit a couple, but then when it was like zero, that's unbelievable. unbelievable. Right from a power hitter like him, especially, but no hitter. I mean, I mean, it's a new stadium, it's a new team. You know, he's got to get adjusted. His track record obviously shows that he's probably able to turn this thing around. And hell, if he doesn't, there's what fifty-eight mil in the trash. <laughs> well, fifty-eight mil in his pocket. You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> trash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees. Um, he's probably coming off of his worst start in three seasons with his ERAs, uh, about 4.91. Um, you know, last year he was just uh, lights out amazing. He's one of the guys that I've talked about throughout the year that uh, that he uh, 
you know, somebody just fun to watch. And every time he took the mound, you know, especially against my Red Sox, uh, you know, it was an automatic W for them. Uh, so I definitely think that uh, he's somebody that I think with a little bit of run support possibly from the Yankees, uh, which is starting to happen a little bit um, over the last couple of games, but they are still uh, last in the division. I just uh, thought I'd throw that. But with a little bit of run support, um, you know, he should be uh, better. The one good thing about is that his extra base uh, hits – um, percentage is uh, tied for seventh, right behind Max Fried and Shane McCallan. So, I mean, he's he's doing some things good. So, uh, I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out him uh, moving forward for the season. So, moving on to the players that have had the career turnaround, Dom. I'm going to start with you on this. What is a player that has had the best career turnaround for you? I'm going to go with the man, the myth, the legend, the greatest knuckleball pitcher of all time, R.A. Dickey. This <laughs> okay, maybe not the greatest knuckleball pitcher of all time, but um, the career turnaround is pretty impressive. Um, so he didn't make it to the major leagues until 2001, he was 26. Um, ERA 675, he didn't have an ERA below four, 4.6 to be specific, until 2010, and he had a 284 ERA. And he really didn't come into his prime until 2012. Uh, Yeah, 2012 to 2014 is really when he was at, like, peak, you know, hype R.A. Dickey. Um, I think there was a couple years. Yeah, 2012, he had 230 strikeouts. I remember him being in uh, Cy Young uh, conversations. And that's 11 years into his career already. And um, he only played till 2017. So really, it wasn't until the back half of his career you know, that, that he really became uh, a quality pitcher. I mean, he, 2012, his best season, he was 37 years old. <laughs> you know, most guys are retired by then, and, and he just hit his peak. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery, right? Uh, I believe hold on, I'm, I'm trying to find his because uh, that I think that, that was earlier in his career because that's sometimes a, a little turnaround career turnarounds to some guys that aren't great and have Tommy Johns and they come back and they're just lights out. So, yeah, I'd like to know like where that Tommy John surgery happened and how that possibly perpetuated uh, that turnaround. Well, Jeff, I'll go with you on this. What, what do you got? Yeah, this one seems, you know, maybe a little too obvious, but Nolan Ryan, I mean, come on, he started with the Mets, uh, what was it, 1966, and he just wasn't that amazing for him. Uh, he really only made, like, you know, like a crucial postseason appearance that year, and then he missed the entire 67 season with an injury. And the next year, he, I think he went 7-11, and 11, and the year after that, he was 10-14, and 14, and he was just super unreliable. The front office didn't trust him. And he actually, uh, I know me and you talked about, we were watching the documentary he had. And he just, he straight up said that year, I just considered retiring completely. I just thought about giving it up and getting a real job <laughs> at the time. And his wife said, nope, you've got to keep going. And you are not done. You've got some stuff to prove. So, you know, he went back, he asked for trade and 
I always thought it was super funny. <laughs> That's a, you know, he idolized Sandy Koufax so much growing up that he finally got that call from the Mets saying, yeah, we just uh, traded you to California. And he said his heart just started racing. He got so excited. And then he said the Angels. He's like, oh, I could have just died when he said the Angels. <laughs> I thought I was going to the Dodgers. But obviously he went to the Angels. And the rest is history. I mean, he was amazing. Uh, still somehow never won the Cy Young. But a guy that just continued to get better with age. That was a we talked about that last year. They did the biggest gyps of all time. And the, the, <laughs> I mean, this should, the Cy Young award should be renamed the Nolan Ryan award. They're doing it in basketball. They're renaming these awards, you know, off of modern players. So why not do it in baseball? Um, right. That, that should be, so, uh, that should be something. I'm going to start, start that on Twitter. And maybe, you know, get that going a little bit. Here's an idea. Oh, yeah. Or create the um, Nolan Ryan Award, but it's greatest players that got chipped. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I find funny about Nolan Ryan is it, if, you know, we talked about that documentary, um, it was a pitching coach that literally changed everything for him about his his delivery and his the way he, he released the ball, where he released the ball. And he just turned in, you know, there's just one guy watching him going, hey, you're kind of doing that wrong, you know. So, all right, well, uh, I'm going to stick with the aspect of uh, pitchers, and I'm going to go with Mr. Max Scherzer. So it's kind of hard to rem uh, remember a time where Max Scherzer wasn't one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, you know, the right-hander started, uh, I think, his career with a 3.92 ERA and then, like, uh, I think that was one of his first four seasons. Um, and then he had a 4.72 ERA through – 22 starts in his fifth season. Um, so, I mean, he, he was a mediocre at best pitcher, you know, possibly relegated, um, you know, to the third or fourth position possibly. Um, and then he, uh, you know, kind of turned it around, um, you know, wrapped up that year with a, uh, that fifth year with a 1.65 ERA over the last 10 starts and then ended up winning that Cy Young uh, award, I think 2013 at the age of 28 um, and then obviously signed with the Nationals did a little one-year stint with the Dodgers and then is now with the Mets and uh, is considered a premier pitcher so uh, I think that's a, a career turnaround for me in, in that sense uh, so pretty cool all right next we're going to talk about the Pirates Dharma's hailed these pirates over the last uh, couple episodes saying, you know, these sneaky pirates watch out for them. And, and that's definitely been the case. So uh, the 2022 pirates finished an abysmal 62 and 100. They were 31 games back in the NL central uh, division, uh, but of the Cardinals won that division. And that was pretty much like the weakest division winner in the national league. They had a negative 226 run differential. Um, they actually won four more games than they were expected to win. Uh, last year, they were uh, they couldn't hit. They were 28th um, in OP OPS at 655. Uh, the pitching didn't prevent runs. They were 26th as well uh, with a 4.66 ERA. Uh, the defense didn't field. They were 26th in the MLB in uh, negative 22 outs above average. So nothing was going right for this 
So the 2023 Pirates are definitely a different story. Um, at the time of this episode, I think they are tied for second uh, best team in the National League with a record of 21 and 16. So, Dom, since this was your baby, I'm going to start with you on this. What happened? What turned us around for the, the Pirates? Um, well, it all goes back to the fire sale that, that we saw. Was it like 2020, 2021? Traded away really anyone that, that was worth anything um, to that team. Um, and they, they got a bunch of prospects, and they got a bunch of good prospects. Um, you know, it middle of last year, they had the seventh-ranked farm system in all of baseball. Um, it, it's one thing to have a bunch of young talent, but you have to develop that talent. And uh, with Derek Shelton and the, and, the, and the coaching staff that they have, um, all the way down uh, from major leagues, all the way down to the minor leagues, um, they've, they've really committed to developing that young talent. And we're seeing it pay off. I mean, you you got cornerstone players in O'Neill Cruz. Um, hopefully he comes back soon. I know he's got that injury right now. Um, but if, if he reaches his full potential, I mean, he he could be uh, all-star caliber shortstop. Um, you got Brian Reynolds, who is one of the better uh, center fielders in baseball right now. Um, then you got uh, young third baseman from Brian Hayes. Um, that are really guys that you can build around. Um, they've had some good signings in the rotation as well. Um, but you also have veteran leadership from Carlos Santana and Austin Hedges um, that are really mentoring the, the young players that are in that locker room. Um, and especially someone like Austin Hedges. I mean, he's he's one of the best defensive catchers in, in baseball. So he's really someone that, that can really mentor the, the young pitchers that they have. Um, so I, I think it's it's a perfect storm of – having a lot of young talent, having the staff to mentor that young talent and develop them, and then having veterans that that young talent can kind of look up to while also still getting some contributions out of those veterans. Definitely. I think um, Jack uh, Sawinski, I mean, he's definitely mm-hmm. been a defensive juggernaut for the lineup. He's currently in the top 3% in average uh, exit velocity, top two in barrel rate and top five in hard hit rate in top five in walk rate and top 1% in chase rate. Um, so he just doesn't swing at bad pitches. Like, kids. Right. And I, I know the team's kind of slumping right now. Um, I know they've had a lot of injuries, but you, they're tied for, what, second best in the National League, and that's without arguably their best player in O'Neill Cruz. You know, if they can keep this up, you know, trade deadline, maybe they make a move, kind of build a little bit more. And then when he comes back in late August, I mean, who, who knows? Jeff, do you have any take on this? Yeah, I mean, they just got to take advantage of a really bad NL Central. <laughs> I mean, I should know Barrett's being in this division. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm really impressed that Winsky did. Um, he's been killing it. You know, they just finally locked down uh, one of their guys. And I want to know how Bednar all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and becomes like the best like shutout closer and all the baseball. I almost trust him more than I do class day anymore. Um, he had a great uh, world series classic. I, I think that kind of set the, set the tone for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, side note on, on the pirates. What did you all think of that? Drew Maggi, uh 13 seasons in the minor league call up. Um, and 
said he was going to swing at that first pitch. He didn't care where it went, but he mm. was he was not going to uh, not take advantage of that that first pitch, and he was going to hit it as hard as he could. Uh, Jeff, what did you think of that? Oh, it's amazing! It was fantastic. I actually tuned into that game just to watch him take that first at bat. That crowd, I mean, they just all got on their feet. They all cheered for him, and it's just it's what you love about baseball. How can you not be romantic about it, right? I mean, this guy spent 13 years in the minors, you know, finally gets his call up. And, and, you know, when you go up to the plate, they're changing your name. Like, you know, this is the thanks to social media and everything that everybody was aware that this is going on. But that that's just got to be one of the greatest feelings of your entire life to just be, you know, as a scene from the national and the natural. I'm sorry, when everybody's, you know, just <laughs> knows who you are and you're coming to the plate. It's just it, um Obviously, he's been sent down since then, but uh, it was good for him. I mean, it worked. Oh, yeah, for sure. Shame on the ump for the uh, pitch clock violation. <laughs> Read the room. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, there's got to be some leeway in some of this stuff to, to allow things to happen. Um, I read somewhere, and maybe I'm talking out my you-know-what on this, but I read somewhere with this new pitch clock thing that there is – something that the teams have to notify the umpires union or whatever, what have you, or major league baseball 20 hour, 24 hours in advance uh, of a possible standing ovation to get it approved. Really? <laughs> it, it is. I, I, I'm going to have to look that up and I'll definitely talk about that uh, next episode. But uh, if, if you guys in the listening uh, have any impact on that or not impact, but a uh, knowledge on that, let us know in our socials and, and stuff like that on Facebook. But all right, well, we're, we talked about a this year's worst to first uh, team. So now we're going to talk about the best worst to first teams uh, in our opinions that we've ever had. Jeff, I'm going to start with you on your, Who is your best worst to first team of all time? Uh, Got to go with those 1990, 1991 Braves. Uh, you know, this team uh, in 91, they went on to win. 94 games, which was an improvement of 29 uh, from the year prior. You know, they signed a little free agent, uh, Terry Pendleton, who would eventually hit a league best uh, average 319, had 22 homers, 86 rubies, and win the MVP. Uh, they had a few young pitchers that ended up being all right, you know, Smoltz, Glavine, uh, Avery, and those pitchers actually helped them record the third lowest ERA in the NL. The year prior, they were dead last. And that, that year is just the year they turned it around. And after that, they won 14 straight division titles from thereafter. Uh, yeah, we, we all know about those Braves. That's, that's the stuff of lore <laughs> right there. Right. All right, Dom, what do you got for your best worst to first team of all time? I'm going to go with the other team in the 91 season that went worst to first. Um, and then it's got to be the Minnesota Twins. I mean, they, they ended up going worse to first and uh, winning the World Series. I mean, this doesn't really get any better than that. Um, I, I it's, it, So I know we're doing the interesting fact about baseball later, but I, I was reading this and I, I have to mention it. So before 1991, there was no team that's ever gone worse to first. And then in 91, there were two. And it was the Braves and the Twins. <laughs> I'm glad I had two different uh, facts about baseball. Uh, like, 
<laughs> Thanks for that one. You're welcome. We always got to steal one. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I've started to do. I've literally started to get like backups up on backups so that I have something that I'm glad everybody wrote their things down today. <laughs> you know, for part except for the, the facts. So I think Jeff, what we should do now is just throughout the episode, give random facts to try to steal something from Greg. Cause he's not going to tell us what he's going to yeah. write. So he's got to come up with, with a bunch of random facts and try to try to steal one from them. Right. All right. Well, talking about, uh, you know, worst to first World Series wins uh, like the Twins was that season. Uh, And no surprise to either of you, it's going to be my 2020-13 Boston Red Sox. Uh, Mm -hmm. After they unloaded Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett in the 2012 season, uh, you know, they finished dead last um, and then obviously proceeded to win the world series that next year um you know they they signed a lot of uh veteran guys that were kind of on the decline uh, mike napoli uh, shane victorino um guys that nobody really expected to do much or have much of an impact um you know you had a lot of of rookies um on that team as well and uh you know still some veteran pitching but uh they definitely were able to turn it around and uh and win the world series um Fun fact about that is that uh, in the World Series that they've won in 2004, 2013, and 2018, every time they fire a manager and hire a new one, they win the World Series. Hmm. So I always uh, thought it was great about that. It's not a good sign for job stability then. If that's their track record, I'd be getting a new manager every year. I think Alex Cora is is I think he's fine. I think he's he's holding it, especially this year. I talk about you know, you know expecting a team to be worse than their division, and and the Red Sox are definitely not. So, well, speaking of divisions and stuff, we're going to go into the standings rundown. So I'm just going to do the top most of the top teams, except for the start off with the AL East, and pretty much everybody in the AL East is better than everyone else in baseball. So uh, that's why they get a little nod for, for the entirety of it all. So the American league East, you've got Tampa Bay with an amazing 29 and nine record. Baltimore's right behind that at 24 and 13 Boston's 21 and 16 Toronto, 21 and 16 and the Yankees are bottom of that um, AL East, but they're still uh, 21 and 17, which is just amazing. Uh, you got the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins at 19 and 17, followed by the Detroit Tigers at 17 and 19. Uh, American League West is uh, Texas Rangers 22 and 14. Moving on to the National League, the uh, National League best team, Atlanta Braves at 25 and 11. You've got, and surprisingly, the, the um, Marlins are second place in the, in the National League East at 19 and 19. Um, we already talked about them, but the uh, National League Central uh, Pittsburgh Pirates are 21 and 17, uh, tied with the the Brewers uh, for that lead division. Though the Pittsburgh does have a half a game lead on them, so it must be uh, something with that. And then the uh, National League West is the Dodgers with a 23 and 15 record in Arizona. Again, another surprising team. I know we talked about it last uh, week, but 
20 and 17. So that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Jeff, I'm going to start with you. What are some of your surprises so far with the standings? I mean, like you said, the AL East is just, it's insane that (laughs) half these teams that are leading the other divisions are not as good as the Yankees are sitting at the bottom, which I mean, I'll admit makes me a little happy. So Um, Milwaukee's finally kind of coming up. It seems, Uh, you know, Pittsburgh's on the slide. I think they've lost like what eight in their last 10 or something around there. Uh, Yeah. One and nine. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, It's just seems Milwaukee's finally coming up. My biggest surprise is the Cardinals are just so atrociously bad. And like, I can't believe it that the Reds have been ahead of them this whole season so far. Dom, what do you got? I must be a fortune teller because I'm looking at the Padres at 19 and 17. <laughs> and it seems like every year I say they're going to be a mid team because they always are, no matter how much money they spend. And they seem to, be proving me right yet again, no matter how much they can spend $500 million each off season. And it seems like no matter what they do, they're going to be a 500 baseball team. Like I, they got no excuses right now. They're, they're pretty fully healthy. They got Fernando Tatis back. Um, their outfield is absolutely loaded. Their infields loaded too. I mean, they, on paper, they have no reason to be 19 and 17. And yet here they are. So I, I don't know if they're just a cursed franchise or what, but no matter what they do, they're going to be 500. Yeah. I'm I, I starting to regret my world series prediction. On that one. I don't know how much does it has to do with coaching. I mean, it can't be all coaching. I mean, it's, it's really up to the players on, on the field. They're the ones making the plays. They're the ones swinging and missing and, not pitching well and blowing saves. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at their run differential. They're plus one in one in a run differential. They've scored 151. They've given up 150. I mean, that that's about as mid as you can get. Um, I, I don't think it's so much coaching as just players aren't living up to expectations, or maybe expectations were just too high. Okay. All right. Well, moving on to other division leaders. Uh, we're going to talk about fantasy baseball and how Dom is just killing it. Um, so in our standings, the East standings, uh, I am currently in third place with an 18, 20, and six record. You got in the West, Dom sitting at number one with the best record in all of uh, our fantasy teams at a 34 and 14 and seven record. But right behind him is Jeff with a 29 21 and five record. So what's been going good for you guys? What's been going bad? Jeff, I'll start with you. Bad. He is just homers. Not really getting a lot of homers out of my guys. My average is a little low, getting a little too many strikeouts. Uh, that's probably my dual combination of Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado, who you would think would be a fantastic duo for fantasy. But they're having a little bit of a hard time this year with the strikeouts. All right, Tom, what about you? But um, I mean, I've gotten kind of lucky in, in some free agent pickups. Um, I was able to pick up, you know, Cody Bellinger, um, Josh Lowe, um, Jorge Mateo. Um, the pitching is, has been a real strong point for me. 
um, Garrett Cole, um, Alcantara, Shane McClanahan, um, and Dustin May. Uh, D. Scalfani and um, Eduardo Rodriguez have been, have been really good pickups for me. Um, hopefully it's it's a trend that, that continues throughout the season. But, you know, overall, I, I, I look to have a lot of guys that hit both for power but also contact. Um, and at this point, I mean, knock on wood, but there's really no weaknesses to the team that I'm seeing, um, barring any injury. Um, I, th- I think I'm in a good spot. I mean, obviously it shows in the standings that you're in a good spot. So <laughs> I think for me, it's been offense. I mean, like you said, Jose Abreu's just been atrocious. He's not put up any numbers uh, with Aaron Judge getting you know hurt. Um, I think the only thing that's really saved me is my pitching. Uh, so when it comes down to it, uh, Strider's just been lights out. Um, so yeah. Max Freed's been great too. Um, so um, uh, Lance Lynn has not been uh, great, great, but not been horrible either. So I'll uh, go with that. But there's a lot of baseball left. We've got a lot of weeks uh, to go with this. This is just week, what, six of our fantasy. Uh, so, yeah, we're just in week six. So a lot of baseball to play. Mm-hmm say that a lot so all right now we come to the last topic of the evening and it's that one fact about baseball we always try to stump each other give each other a little bit of knowledge and give you guys a little bit of knowledge about baseball and how just amazing it is some of the statistical anomalies that happen in baseball so jeff i'm going to start with you on this what is your one fact about baseball yeah so i figured with uh us talking about these las vegas a's uh i would go over the current oakland a's since this could be one of their final years, um, show you just how they're doing. So this year, they are actually last in the league in all these categories. Attendance, wins, run differential, war, ERA, opponent's average, and wit. So I was wondering if you guys know what uh, they've been good at so far. What have they done the most? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, uh, strikeout? <laughs> Lose, <laughs> right? They definitely lose. Stolen bases? Nope. So this is kind of a, I will say, this is a bit of a trick question. Uh, so far, what they've been good at is they've given up the most hits, the most runs, the most home runs, the most walks, and they've hit the most batters in the league. So it's just, it just, this list just keeps going. I mean, it's starting to be like the players don't care. Oh yeah, it definitely. I mean, feels yes. <laughs> I mean, if you know, you, you look at the organization, the owner doesn't care, which means the front office doesn't care. It shows that the fans don't care because they're only drawing what two thousand people a game. Um, it's hard to be in that situation if you're a player, and you you know you you feel that you know you're in the organization, you can sense the owner not caring, the, the manager not caring, and obviously you're playing in an empty stadium, so the city doesn't care either. So I get it. Yeah, I mean, I would think as even just a fan of baseball, though, you'd want to go see the other team, at least, and, you know, seeing some of the other stars on the team, but I don't know. It's crazy. All right, Dom, what do you got? What is your one fact about baseball? Um. So when were, like, the, the official rules of baseball kind of like, solidified looking for a year here i'm gonna say 
1862? Uh, yeah, I'd probably guess around maybe 1875-ish, maybe. Yeah, great. You were only three years off. So in 1865, um, what seemed to be, it's called like the first official like baseball convention. Um, so it was a gathering um, that was aimed to confirm the rules and amateur status of baseball players. Um, so 91 amateur teams from different cities, um, such as like St. Louis, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Louisville, uh, Washington, D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, all these like teams gathered together and like kind of like wrote up like an official rule book to the game. Um, and, you know, they, they were all amateurs at the time, but that, they kind of set the groundwork for um, baseball that we know today. Hmm. 1865. That's a good little little trivia bit, and you can find out what uh, exactly you know it all started. So, all right. So, mine is uh, what player is the only one in major league history to play more than 500 games at five different positions? Ooh. So, a 500 games at no, it's not 500 games at each position. It's 500 total and played five different positions. No. What player is the only player in Major League history to play more than 500 games at five different positions? Wow. I mean, it's got to be old, like 1910, 1920, 1930. Because, you know, you you don't see that anymore. Any guesses? Man. I mean, whoever it is, it's probably ultimate utility. I truly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he needs an award named after him, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't think baseball would actually do that for this guy. Oh, boy. No, although, okay, so that means it's someone that was banned for the league. So, someone from the 1919 White Sox or Pete Rose. Right. <laughs> ding, 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 Pete Rose. Really? <laughs> yes, he played 939 games at first base. 628 games at second base, 634 games at third base, 671 games in left field, and 595 games in right field. So, Mr. Charlie Hustle. Wow. Talk about ultimate utility player right there. Yeah, also. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. I was joined as Jeff and Dom. Thank you guys for uh, – you know, joining me today. Uh, make sure you download us and all your way you get your podcast, Apple Music, Spotify. On until next time. Baseball is America's pastime. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of On Deck as much as we have. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at deep.dive.sports. Or download us through Amazon, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As always, we are on deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.